Hello, how are you? This is going to be a special episode. My dog Max is sleeping in his little bed behind me as I record this. Hopefully he doesn't bark. If he does, you'll be sure to know that I've edited out. But let's just assume that he was a good boy, sleeping as I read. Believe it or not, we're on chapter 8 of my novel, Marked for Harm. This episode is entitled, Stupid Bliss. As always, thank you for listening. This is Heavy Typing, and I'm Frank Hagen. I had woken in the dark, laying in my bed. There had been a noise of some kind which startled me. Don't bug out. The man's suggestion was almost a whisper. I lay still, adrenaline surging through my veins. Have they sent a hobbit to kill me? I wondered aloud. We prefer little people, you pregnant pussy shit. The man responded in his uncanny yet not unpleasant voice. I could barely make out a shadow of movement near the chair by the window. There was an outline of a fedora and a brief glinting reflection of streetlight off of an eye. You're not going to bug out, are you? Who's going to bug out, I said. All right, if I get up? Okay, said the man. Get out of the bed on the far side, but don't reach for anything and don't turn on any lights. I swung my legs onto the floor and stood up. The air in the room was cool. Fat cock's legendary fat cock. Shadow suits you. The light certainly does not, I replied. This is an uncomfortable honor. While many have had you, fewer still have seen you. A tiny wraith speaking riddles. What do you want, I asked. Poking fun at my physicality is really boring, Cox. But I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I apologize for intruding into your home unsolicited. My name, for these purposes, is Dickie Swallows. Is there a revelation forthcoming, Dickie, I said? A name and an apology is still not an explanation. I am in a unique position. Like everyone else, I want to use you. But I also hope to save you. You sure you don't want to just kill me, Dickie? Not today. Ah, Not today. Even in the dark, you can see how grateful I must be. However you feel is your own business, but you smell worse of sarcasm than you do of liquor, friend. My eyes had adjusted and I could see somewhat the shape of the little man sitting in the chair by the window. I'm going to turn the light on and have a drink. Join me, I asked. Leave the light off. They're watching. I brought you a gift. Bourbon. It's on top of the dresser, there. I walked to the dresser in the dark and found the bottle by feeling for it. I undid the cap and tilted the bottle back over my head for a drink. Poison does not concern you, Dickie said. It brings me hope. Cigarettes in my jacket pocket. I saw the shape of the chair move and heard the man going through the pockets of my jacket. Catch, he told me. I was hit in the face with the pack, which dropped to the floor. After stooping to pick up the pack, I sat on the edge of the bed, put the bottle on the floor between my feet, pulled a cigarette from the cellophane wrapper, and lit up. Okay, Dickie, 
Who is watching? What do you want? Give me something I can swallow. Hilarious, such wit. As I said, I mean to use you, and I hope to save you. I am dense, Dickie, I said. At various times, I have been associated with both ham passion as well as the servants of Nautyaj. At various times, both at the same time. Today, I am associated with neither, but I am attuned to their activities. Interests in both of these circles are now interested in you. That is the they. It's possible there are other factions as well. That's what I believe. Aside from practical aspects which cause me annoyance, I don't care what they want. My personal interest, what I want, is not so easy to explain. But you will try. I sat, cradling my cigarette, already thinking I should quit, and took another drink. I took a long drag and exhaled slowly. How romantic, Dickie said. What is wrong, Mr. Cox? Aren't you enjoying life? Not lately. A shame. It is a waste to feel like that. I feel like I can't feel anything. Dickie Swallows chuckled. Feel like you can't feel. Did you hear what you just said, Cox? What do you want? Next thing you'll be wondering if you're even real, Dickie said with another chuckle. That's not a realization I've yet come to, Swallows. If you have anything to say, you're running out of time to say it. Cox, you're too smart to play that this loser game. Someone plays a game, someone must lose, I said. I took a drink. That is the risk. I wonder, have you ever looked at people in old photographs and wondered who they are? What sort of lives they might have led? Not that I could recall, no. I'm not talking about the quote-unquote subjects of these photographs, but about persons incidentally captured, people in public places walking or sitting nearby at the time of the photo. They're just there, or they wander into frame as the shutter opens. Often they're standing out of focus, not doing anything. I find these people fascinating. I have quite the collection. I am always searching for more. I acquire them from estates, thrift stores, antique shops. I have made a study of these people. The best photos are the ones clearly considered ruined by something happening beyond the artist's control. These photos are typically treated as throwaway. The photograph is retaken, but I prefer the mistake. You find these as negatives mostly as they are either never developed or the prints have been thrown in the trash. Who are these people? Think of how many photographs you yourself have unwittingly appeared in just by going about your life, unaware. Video is ubiquitous, and video, after all, is merely near-continuous still frames. You're right, I said. You're having trouble explaining yourself. The unintentional filming, the man continued, of inane behavior is probably the most genuine documentation of quote-unquote real personalities. Real personality is absolutely literally missing from the life of photographs and moving pictures. What is presented to us is posed, scripted, and staged. Our so-called memories are completely disingenuous. When children say cheese at a party, they are made complicit in a fraud. 
The transition is seamless and the quote-unquote conditioning is absolute. Your obsession is clear enough. I still don't know what you want. As I said, I will acquire discarded photographs, photo albums, home movies. I even pay for old computers so that I can copy off the contents of their hard drives, filtering out the photos and videos. What I enjoy the most is going through unsorted prints and untitled digital photos because these are the ones people have decided are not worthy. They have been unselected. But not for you. Part of the conditioning is for people to see the world in a predictable, safe manner. They miss out on so much. This is everything, really. In my opinion, they are missing out on reality itself. They experience the world through anticipation where things have been predetermined. This is collective predestination. They live in unequivocal darkness. Whereas we sit in mere darkness, I offered. Media through evolving technology can allow us to return to the authentic, the man said. Are you filming us now, I asked. I wear a body cam at all times. It is for my personal archives. It is nothing to concern yourself over. My visit to Ham Passion Studios. Give yourself more credit, Cox. You are not so dense. I assume that I had been recorded. This is why you are so legendary. Be proud for once. Your authenticity is quite unique. And be relieved. I have removed it from their servers and will remain the sole holder of it for my own archives. To behold you in person is somewhat of an honor, of course. I am one of those out-of-focus figures from your beloved photographs, aren't I? No, you have become a quote-unquote subject. Now you appear in focus, in the center of the frame. I drank the last of the bourbon, put the mostly smoked cigarette inside the bottle and began pacing the room. What do you know about the book, I said. As long as you were in focus, you were in peril. I could run away. I doubt it. You move and the frame follows. You must remain within the photo. What about the book? It cannot be undone, Dickie said. You have no choice but to adapt. Everything has been given to you. Perhaps now is the time to take as well. You've been too real. You don't have to be real to be for real. You'll understand what I mean, even if you do not now. I walked over to the wall and flipped the light switch on. There was barely a sound of rushed movement of fabric and a creak of wood. My eyes were pained by the light when they adjusted the man was gone. I searched every room, closet, and under the furniture, although he was not that diminutive. On the windowsill was a Polaroid I had taken of summer. On the back, handwritten in uneven block letters, was the name, Johanna Mertz. 